they needed some help with my message this week, so I put on Facebook this week, I, I put a question. I put this question on there, it said this, it said, more than anything else, I want God to use me to, and then people were meant to fill in the blank. And uh, some people filled in the blank, most of you ignored me, but that's okay, some people still love me. And they filled in the blank with things like, more than anything, I want God to use me to serve as Jesus served, or be a light in people's lives, or help save a generation, or be a godly example to my kids, or lead my family to Christ, and they're all really, really good desires. In fact, somebody sent me a a private message and said, I really want to help a woman come out of sex trafficking and sex work and and find Christ and get out of that kind of industry. Really great, great desires that people have of what they really want God to use them, but and I don't mean to put a dampener on anybody that responded, but I need to ask you another question, and that is this. So how are you going with that? It's really easy to say, if if God could use me to do anything, I want him to use me to do this, but how are you, how are you going with that? How are you going with with saving people? How are you going with reaching out to prostitutes and sex workers? How are you... How are you going with that? Because it's really easy to say, this is how I want God to use me, but then we've got to do something, yes? Hello? We've got to, to do something. And, and when I went back to this person and said, so what are you doing to reach these people? Uh, and they came back and said, oh, I, I, well, I'm not sure I can. That was their response. I'm not sure I can. I'm not sure I have the qualifications to actually be able to reach these people. And, what I've discovered in life is so many of us want to do something significant for God or we want to do something, but we think that we're disqualified from being able to do things for Him. We, we, we think that there's these things that we have to reach or these markers that we have to reach or these things that we have to do if we're going to be able to do that. We can feel so unqualified because we believe we're lacking and our ability to do things, or or maybe you feel disqualified because of your circumstances. I, I couldn't do that because of this in my life right now, or that in my past right now, or or you may look in the mirror and, and do what I do sometimes and think, well, I'm pretty sure based on what I'm seeing in the mirror, God's going to choose somebody else. Has anybody had those experiences before? Is it just me? Thank you very much for loving on me this morning and not making me feel all alone up here. I was just joking, to be honest. But when I read through Scripture, the crazy thing is of all the people, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, of all the people that was disqualified from God using them was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, in case you don't know, was basically an anti-Christian terrorist. His sole role in life before he became Paul the Apostle was Saul, and his sole thing in life would be to go around from town to town finding Christians, killing them, and burning down church buildings. That's what he did. That was his life. In fact, the Bible says that when Stephen was being stoned to death in the book of Acts, that they put the clothes at Saul's feet. He stood there and watched as they killed him. He was a murderer. He was a Christian terrorist. He destroyed churches. That was his mission in life, was to wipe out Christianity. But God encountered him and did a transformation in him that out of that he became the first evangelist to actually go outside of Israel and reach non-Jewish people. Of all the people that is disqualified, 
it, you'd have to think it was a murderer, wouldn't you? Because he's not just murdering men, he is murdering women and children and babies. Anybody that came from a Christian family, he would kill. He would destroy, he would wipe them out because he wanted to wipe Christian. If anybody was disqualified from God using them, Paul was the guy. He was the guy, but an encounter with God caused him to have a transformation that took place which enabled him to write two-thirds of the New Testament is his writings. He was the first missionary to go outside of Israel and reach the world, and we are where we are today because of his great work that he did. Now, I admit that, that Paul is an exception to the ordinary experience, yes? It's like using Noah's Ark as an example of a family vacation. It's just a little bit extreme. But the fact is, is still is that we, we tend to have these ideas that there's these rules and that there's these qualifications and there's these disqualifications when it comes to God using us. And, and, and many people feel that there's these standards out there that they can't obtain. And, and, and they'd love to serve and they'd, they'd love to get involved and they'd love to be part of what God is doing, but, but I'm, I'm just, I just don't feel qualified. One of those things that we put down as a reason why we can't do things is we have what I call the time disqualification. You know, it's just, I miss my window of opportunity. The clock's run out. I could have done a great thing back then, but I'm just too old to do stuff like that. I've missed my, my chance. I've missed my chance. You know, it's like, it's like, what if we, yeah, it's almost like we've climbed into the grandstand of life and we've disqualified ourselves from being in the game and now we think it's just our job to watch because, you know, I'm, 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 my marriage is really not good and I, I just missed the chance of getting it sorted out and I've messed up my parenting and now the kids are, are too growing up so there's nothing I can do about it. It's too late now. It's, it's, your neighbor is asking questions about Jesus and, and you're like, man, I, I just don't know how to answer the questions. I, I don't want to get this wrong. You know, it, that, that's, that's for other people to do. I, I, I can't do that. I, I don't know enough. I've missed my chance. You have ideas about doing a couple of changes at work, but your attitude is, well, who, who am I that the boss would listen to me? You know, I'm just a nobody. I'm not qualified to speak into this. You see, there's nothing worse than, than milk that is past its due by date. Yeah? It smells nasty, it tastes nasty, and it's time it would made a cup of coffee extremely happy. But after its expiry date, it's just tossed out, and that's how we treat ourselves sometimes, is that we've missed our chance. We're blowing it, the time has gone by, but how sad is it that we would think that God is like that, that God just decides that we have an overdue exploration date and he just throws us away. That's not the God that I know. God doesn't want me because of everything that I've done. God just wants me because of who he is and how much he loves me. God doesn't just write us off. He doesn't, God doesn't hold grudges. God doesn't hold us to standards that we can never meet. That's why he died on the cross for our sin because he knew that we would never be able to meet the standard that was required for the forgiveness of our sins. So he said, I'll meet the standard for you. 
I'll do it for you. He doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't turn around and go, because you didn't do that for me when you were 16, I'm going to hold that and I'm going to make sure the rest of your life is miserable. God doesn't do that. It's not the way that he's wired. God does not throw us out. Nobody in this room has an overdue date, expiration date. It doesn't matter whether you are 13 or 14 or 92. Your best time that God can use you is right now, right here, right in this moment. There's no time delays. There's no expiry dates when it comes to him. Jesus told Peter that he would deny him. And of course, Peter did deny him, didn't he? We know that, that he denied him three times. And and so then Peter thinks, oh, that's it. I've missed my chance. I've missed my chance. God told me, Jesus told me I'd deny him. I've denied him. I've betrayed him. I've missed my chance. So what does Peter do? He goes back to fishing, goes back to what he knew. Missed my opportunity, missed my chance. What does Jesus do? Jesus turns up while he's fishing. Doesn't he? He doesn't go, you've missed your chance. He turns up at the fishing and says, let down your nets on the other side, even though they've fished all night and caught nothing. Let down your nets on the other side. And so they did. Caught such a big catch that they couldn't contain it. The boats are starting to sink. And then Peter realizes it's Jesus and doesn't even wait for the boat to get in. He just dives in and swims the shore. And Jesus restores him back and then Peter ends up leading the church. He ends up standing up on the day of Pentecost and starting the church, seeing 3,000 people saved in a move of the Spirit of God. Peter thought that his opportunity had come and gone, but God doesn't have expiration dates for you and I. He thought his chance had come. He thought he had failed and so that he was out of the game, but Jesus always rocks up in our moment of despair and he says to Peter basically in that moment when he restores him he says to Peter I choose you I choose you but 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 I did this but I did that but I did but I let you down I I denied you I failed you yeah I know you did all that but I choose you I choose you I choose you to be the one that I want to do see Jesus had qualified him even though Paul had disqualified himself. There's so many people in this room that you've disqualified yourself from being able to do things for God, but God has qualified you when he died on the cross for you. It's God doesn't call the qualified, God calls you and then qualifies you. He, he doesn't call you because you have the goods, he calls you because he has the goods. Then when we come into him and we become part of him, then all that he is becomes all of that who we are. Because you will never be good enough for him. And so he made a way for you instead. And he says, hey, don't worry about what you've got to do. I'll do it all for you. And then you can just come and be part of my world. It's a great thing about God. He doesn't write us off. God had qualified him even though that Peter had disqualified him. Moses lost his temper and murdered a soldier but in the voice of the burning bush, he heard, I still choose you, Moses. Matthew, the tax collector, is sitting at a booth, betraying his own people day after day, and Jesus walks past one day and says, I choose you, Matthew. Tax collectors were the most hated people on the face of the planet, and I'm sure there's plenty of people there that were ready to bring up Matthew's past, 
But Jesus wasn't interested in Matthew's past. He said, I choose you. Peter, I choose you. Yes, I know you've failed, but I choose you. I choose you, Moses, even though you've murdered. I choose you. I choose you, Matthew, even though you've betrayed your own people. I choose you. Three people that were just not qualified. But see, this is the problem. You don't need a qualification to follow Jesus. You just need a message that says, I choose you. Qualifications don't get you into heaven. It's an invitation that says, I choose you. People always want to remind others of their failures Maybe because they feel better about their own failures if they can make other people feel bad about theirs. They keep score. Jesus doesn't do that. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, whether you think you're qualified, disqualified, whatever has happened, when he chooses you, he chooses you. Coming to the end of us, As I said last week, at the end of us is always the beginning of Jesus. And coming to the end of me also means allowing Jesus to put to end the guilt and the shame of my past. God offers us a new beginning with a new purpose. And he says, hey, Matthew, I mean, you have to understand about tax collectors. It's like he's, he's as bad as a pedophile that's around the back of the of the local dairy selling your kids pee. That's how bad it is. Nobody wanted tax collectors. Everybody wanted to kill tax collectors. But Jesus walks past them and says, I choose you. Can you imagine the disciples? Can you imagine what they're doing? Hey, man, I just gave up my fishing business to come follow you. We're not taking on tax collectors. Do we get a vote on this? Do we get a say in who can or can't come into our discipleship club? You understand what, you hear what I'm saying this morning? You see, it's not about what you and I choose, it's about what he chooses. And he chose Matthew and he said to Matthew, come, follow me. You see, God determines our future, not others. It's always God that determines what our future is going to be, it's not people. People may try to control you, people may try to manipulate you. But it's God that controls your futures. And in Matthew's case, God didn't care what the Pharisees thought, the religious people. God didn't care about what the disciples was thinking in that moment. He said to Matthew, I've got a better future for you and I choose you. And we're going to leave that past behind, but I've got a great future for you ahead of you. And I decide your future, not those around you. Many people disqualify themselves for serving God because of their past. So many of us in this room, we'd like to do things, but we think about our past. We think about, oh man, I can't do that. What if people knew this stuff? But I'm so thankful, I don't know about you, that Paul, the apostle, didn't let the past dictate whether he was qualified or not to follow Jesus. That he didn't allow the past to stop him. Otherwise, we wouldn't have great promises like with God, nothing is impossible. We wouldn't have some of the great statements of Romans like, if God is for us, then who can be against us? We wouldn't understand the significance of God's grace and mercy if Paul had decided that his past disqualified him from following Jesus. 
And that's why I love the statements that he always usually makes at the beginning of his book. He says, Paul, an apostle called by God, not by man. He understood that man would never have chosen him because of his disqualifications. But God doesn't care about what you've done. God cares about what we're going to do. And so he chooses you. He chooses you. The only qualification that matters, friend, is the one where God says, I choose you. I choose you. And I feel in my spirit today, in my heart today, for every one of you, if God was here in this moment, that he'd point his finger at every single one of you and say, I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. Oh, but, but I got this stuff that I'm carrying from my past, you know, like, like, you know, like, there's adultery in my life. Well, that's cool. Go talk to King David. He had that too. And yet he was a man after God's own heart. Oh, but, but I lie and, and, and I, and I'm quite deceptive about things. Well, go and have a conversation with Abraham and Isaac because they know a fair bit about that as well. Well, you don't understand. I have this horrendous past. Well, then go talk to Rahab, the prostitute who God used to bring about salvation to a nation. Anger, I, I got anger and temper issues, man. Like, you wouldn't want me involved because I got anger and... T- well, talk to James and John, the sons of thunder, who wanted to call fire down and destroy a whole entire town because they were angry. Have a conversation with them. Oh, but, but you don't understand. I had my chance and I dropped the ball. Well, so did John Mark at the worst possible time. I, I, but but I've, I've just gone from bad relationship to bad relationship to bad relations. So did the woman at the well. And look what God did with her. Saved her entire village. You see, for every reason you've got why you're not qualified is every reason why you are qualified. Because qualification should never be about you and me. It should always be about him. If it was about how good I am, then friend, we would be in trouble here this morning because I'm not good. You're not good, but he is so good. God is so good to us. None of these people received the qualification. They just received the message from God that says, I choose you, Abraham. I choose you, Isaac. I choose you, David. I choose you, Rahab. I choose you, John and James. And I choose you, the woman at the well. He chose them. The qualification that you need is not how good your life is, but whether you have heard him say, I choose you. Because your disqualifier becomes God's qualifier. There's a man by the name of Chuck Colson. Don't worry, we'll get to some scripture soon for all those that are freaking out because they haven't used the scripture yet. There's a man by the name of Chuck Colson, and Chuck Colson used to be a prominent man in America. He served presidents and was at the highest circles of power, but he got caught up in the Watergate saga that brought down uh, Richard Nixon, and he ended up in prison. Christian man ended up in prison, and Chuck Colson said this. He ended up being the, the guy that was the butt of the late-night TV jokes, but he said this in, in, a, in a book that he wrote. He said, the great paradox of my life, it'll come up on the screen for you. The great paradox of my life is that every time I walk into a prison and see the faces of men or women who have been transformed by the power of God, I realize that the thing God has chosen to use in my life is none of the successes, none of the achievements, degrees, awards, or honors 
or cases I have won before the Supreme Court that is not God using, that's not God using in my life. What God is using in my life to touch the lives of literally thousands of other people is the fact that I was a prisoner. That was my greatest defeat. The only thing in life I did not succeed in. Chuck Colson started up prison fellowship worldwide, which goes in the prison and see thousands and thousands and thousands of prisoners every year give their lives to Christ. And he's saying, it wasn't my successes, it wasn't my achievements, it wasn't my qualifications that God used. It was my failure. It was the fact that I was a prisoner that God used to transform my world. Corinthians puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for people who are stumbling toward ruin, the message of the cross is nothing but a tale of fools by a fool. But for those of us who have already experienced the reality of being rescued and made right, it is nothing short of God's power. For people who are stumbling toward ruin, the message of the cross is nothing but a tale for fools by a fool. But for those of us who are already experiencing the reality of being rescued and made right, it is nothing short of God's power. In other words, putting this simple for you, the Bible's really saying this, is that our entire faith is built on God being glorified with what looks like to everyone else is failure and defeat. He's basically saying this, failure and defeat is what I operate from. Failure and defeat in people's lives is where I step in because when you get to the end of yourself, God steps in. God does the incredible things. What looks like failure, what looks like defeat, people go, but that shouldn't have worked. That shouldn't have happened. You should never be where you are today because you've been bankrupt before and you've had this happen to you before. And yet all of a sudden, somehow, somewhere, the foolishness of what just doesn't make sense when God gets hold of a life then God all of a sudden elevates it and takes it to a place where what looked like defeat actually becomes victory. Because that's the way that he operates. And he takes the foolish things and he takes the failures and that's where he glorifies himself the most because he takes the brokenhearted and he heals them. He takes the lost and he finds them. He finds the prisoners and he sets them free because that's what he does. He works his best when we get to the end of ourselves. When we are in our worst moments, God is in his greatest strength. And God always uses not the qualifications, not your achievements, not the great things you have done, because then it's about you. He uses the great things he has done, which he does when we're at our lowest. And he comes in and he steps in and he does something miraculous. And the Romans used the cross to humilify and shame people, but Christ used the cross to proclaim the power of Jesus Christ. To the Romans, the cross was a symbol of shame and humiliation, but Jesus turned the cross for us into a symbol of his power and his salvation. Because that's what God does. What is meant for shame and humility, God turns it around. Because he says, I don't care what has happened, I choose you. I choose you. I choose to go to the cross because I choose to turn it from a place of shame and humiliation into a place that shows the power of what God can do in a broken life. God always does it. Always turns it around. He used Saul the hunter, the murderer, 
the terrorist against Christians, tried to destroy the church, but God used him to spearhead the church's expansion into the whole entire known world. Where? From a position of strength? No. From a position where he was in the gutter in the worst place of his life, and then God rocked up with his redemption power and turned his life around. He took the broken, he took the failure, he took the defeat, and then he used them to bring Christianity to the whole entire world. And Christianity, friend, is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, I pray that's really, really cool that, that my past doesn't get in the way of God using me, but I, I just don't feel ready. I just don't feel ready for God to do something with me. You know, the old, I don't feel ready, get out of jail free card that we have in the Christian world. I just need to learn a little bit more first. I, I just need to grow a little bit more first. I, I, I want to be at my very best when I do this. Or, you know, I just don't want to jump into something without really doing my homework first. All excuses. Because the problem with this is, is that those people never seem to graduate from the school of I'm getting ready. You want, it's, it's a little bit like this. When people say this, parents, you, you will understand exactly what I'm about to say here. When you see a young couple that are married and say, we're just going to get ready to have children. Hence the laughter from some people. You are never ready for that snotty, pooing, crying, vomiting noise that keeps you up half the night. You're never ready for it. I'm just going to get ourselves financially in a position ready for, you'll never be ready financially for children. They will cost you more than you can ever dream of. And the older they get, the worse it gets. When they were little, $2 shop pleased them. Now it's JB Hi-Fi. Can I have a 32 inch TV in my bedroom? No, you cannot. You are never ready. You will never be ready. You will never get yourself ready. Because once again, if you're saying, I've got to be ready for God to use me, then it's about you getting yourself qualified. And it's not about you being qualified, because he has already qualified you. Because God does not call the qualified. He calls you and then he qualifies you. Oh, well, I'm just going to get my life together and then I'm going to come to Jesus. No, that's not how God does it. God wants you to come to him just the way that you are. And he says, just come with all warts, everything, whatever you've got, come. And then we'll work on that. But you don't, because you can't get yourself right. You can't get yourself ready for what he wants to do with you. Oh, I just, I just need to pray a little bit more first. No, you don't. You just need to jump. You just need to go for it. Jump before you're ready to jump. I, I, I'm pretty good at this. I'm pretty good at opening my mouth and saying something before I'm even ready for it to happen. I'm a genius at doing this sort of stuff. I go home sometimes after preaching at church on Sunday and I make some statement that I make during my message. And when I make it during my message, I feel powerful about it. And then I get home and I think, oh my God, what did I just say? What did I just commit myself to? Just jump before you're even ready to jump. Go for it. Let God use you. Let God do something in you. The whole thing, I'm not ready yet. Paul, the apostle, God has an encounter with him. He spends a weekend in Acts 9. He spends a weekend with the apostles in Jerusalem. And then he gets launched as a, 
as a missionary. Two-day training camp. Crazy, yes? Could you imagine somebody came into the church and they got saved. The next week we sent them off to pastor a church. You'd be like, what are you doing? They're not ready yet. But you don't understand, God doesn't look how we look. He says, you, you, you don't understand, I qualify you. I make this possible because I choose you. And I'm going to empower you to be able to do what I've chosen you to do. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the Spirit of God gave uh, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You know that boldness comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't take into account your lack or your timidity or your concerns about yourself. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, boldness comes irrelevant. Oh, well, I, I, I don't have any courage. No problem. He'll give courage to you. I don't, I don't have the right words to say. No problem. He'll give you the words to say. That's how God functions. He does, you step out, he steps in. You step out and he steps in. When God chooses you, he then equips you every single time. And the biggest reason why you can't do what you feel to do is the exact reason why he can. Are you hearing me this morning? The very reason why you don't believe you can do the thing that you feel that God wants you to do is the reason why he can do it through you because you realize it's not about you, but it's about him. And that makes you a chosen person. It makes you chosen. So what is it for you that stops you? What stops you from being involved in the life of the church? What stops you from serving? What stops you from doing the thing that God has laid on your heart? Is it, is it a limitation that you think you have physically or a limitation that you think you have because of your life that you've lived? Is it a memory that you have that keeps on coming up over and over again as to why you can't do it? Is it your age that you think is the reason why you can't do what God has called you to do? Is it, is it, is it a fear that you have which says, man, I, I just, I just can't do that. Friend, if any of those is the reason why you feel like you can't do something for God, none of it matters. You need to file away your disqualifications. You need to put them away into a, a filing cabinet called Jesus and, and file away those disqualifications that you think you have and you need to surrender them to Jesus because no disqualification you have stops him from choosing you. You need to renounce those things that you believe that are over your life that you can't do things for God and you need to renounce them and you need to rebuke them again and again and again and again until you get to the place where those things don't come into your head any longer. I have to rebuke my thinking every Sunday morning when I when I'm in my office and I think, why would these people want to listen to me? What do I have to I, I disqualify myself every single week when I think about what I've done and where I've been and the mistakes that I've made and I have to renounce those things every because it's not what I've done that has decided that I'm standing here before you this morning. It's because one day God said, I choose you. Well, I don't know how I'm going to reach all these prostitutes, friend. God chose you. If that stirs you, it's because he's chosen you. Oh, I don't know if I can lead my family to Christ. I chose you. 
I'm the only Christian in my family. Yeah, because he chose you because you were the right one to win first. Because in winning you first, you can win your whole family. He chose you. I'm not, I'm not sure I could get up there and sing like these guys sing because I understand. But if he's chosen you, if it's a passion burning in you, and he's chosen you, stop filing your disqualifications. Stop filing the reasons why you, you're putting before him the reasons why you can't do what he's called you to do. Because he's not looking for you to be qualified. And he's not looking for you to be perfect. And he's not looking for you to have the goods. Because he's saying, I have all of that for you. And if I choose you, I'll equip you. And I'll send you. And you won't fail. Because my word goes out and accomplishes everything it sets out to do. And he who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the end. He doesn't. Rule you out. Oh, when I was a teenager, I was really on fire for God, but I've been away from Him for so long, there's no expiration date. The dreams you had at 14 are still the things that He believes you can do at 45. Friend, don't let your disqualifications get in the way of Him choosing you to serve this church, to serve your family, to serve a community, to serve the nations of the world. Because if he chooses you, he'll equip you. And I feel like God's saying this morning for some of you, or a lot of you this morning, I choose you. You have to understand something. When he chooses you, he's not choosing somebody else. He's choosing you. You, Heather, to do the very thing that he's called you to do. He's not not choosing Amanda to do it. He's choosing you to do it. He's choosing Lance to do something else. And he's choosing... Trinity to do something else and choosing Rima to do something and Caleb to do something. He chooses you. And when he chooses you, those disqualifications that you think you have, you need to get rid of them and get them out of your head because then you'll turn around and when it's all breaking loose, you'll know that this is not about me, this is about Jesus. And then you'll go, thank you God that you chose me and when he sees that humbleness, he'll choose you again and again and again. And again, and again. Why don't you just all close your eyes just for a moment because not everybody here knows Jesus this morning. Not everybody here has heard a message that says that Jesus loves them. A lot of people here have heard messages where you think that Jesus is angry with you or Jesus wants to beat you up or sin wants, he wants to destroy you because of your sin. But friend, I'm here to tell you this morning that the Bible says this, that before you knew him, he died on the cross for you. He chose you. He died on the cross for your sin and He chose you. He died on the cross for your sin so that you wouldn't have to suffer the consequences of your sin. He's saying, hey, I chose you and I want to free you from that this morning. I want to set you on a path into a great future and a great life where I am with you all the time. I choose you. He chose you before the foundations of the world, the Bible says. And He gave gifts and callings upon your life for you to do things that He's got planned for you. He chooses you. He has chosen you, and He chooses you. And the great thing about God is that He doesn't expect us to go and do anything amazing. You don't have to go and travel around the world, and and that before He comes to you, you don't have to give money, or you don't have to do what some of the Buddhists do, where they smack their heads on concrete steps as they go up to the temple to be accepted. All you have to do, because He's already chosen you, 
is just like, put your hand up and go, pick me, please. Because if you choose me, then I choose you, God. If you choose me, then I choose you. And it's as simple as that. You don't have to do anything else but other than say, I choose you this morning. I choose you. And he's going to come into your world and he's going to help you in such a way that, friend, your life will never be the same. Will it be easy? Not always. Sometimes it'll be hard, but you'll know that he's with you. You'll know that you're not alone, that he's got a great plan for your life. And though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you won't fear any evil because you know that God is with you.